Alright, so we have been doing a series on, you know? Genesis. Genesis. Genesis and creation, and we're wrapping up. We've gone through the first 11 chapters, chapters 1 through 11. We've started with the creation of the world. We've gone through all the creation of all the animals. And then we went to humans. We talked about traced the human race through all sorts of different changes, which included the growth of sin, and eventually where God split off uh, the human race and came in with the flood, and how the flood significantly changed the whole world, right? From the very beginning, it significantly changed the world. We get most of our fossils from the flood. There are fossils from other things, but when you have a worldwide event, that covers things in mud and chops things off, you see that it creates huge amounts of fossils in, in areas throughout the world. And there's evidence of water having been all over the world. So besides that, um, we have a few other things that we have picked up along the way. After the flood, we watched mankind as the sin grew again, and God said, I'm going to hold it back. I'm going to take a hold of it, and I'm going to kind of choke it back and force it down and protect the world from the intense growth that sin had. And he did that in a few ways, but the, one of the main ways that he did it was by... Uh, during the Tower of Babel, coming down, visiting, and saying, we're going to stop this, we're going to slow this down, we're going to create all over, uh, languages all over, and make people frustrated. And so they woke up one day, basically, and their languages were different. That's as far as we know the details of it. And they frustrated, turned their backs, and began to spread. And God did that to limit sin. Okay, so we see that and we watch the growth go across. We see subtract some of some of the, uh, the human movements throughout the world. We've seen populations grow and so on and so forth. We've looked at genes and we've looked at a few other things. And the last week and this week, we're wrapping it up. Last week, Jacob came in and he talked about trees and plants. Okay. And this is kind of one of his favorite areas, and he wanted to talk about that. And uh, though I love trees, I also love birds. So I wanted to talk about birds because it's kind of fun to look at birds, look at this little aspect of creation and see what God has done. We could spend months and years and pick out animals across the world. We could pick out uh, flowers and trees and we could pick out all sorts of things and they show God's work. That's what creation does. It says to humans, look, I am created by an intelligent, powerful creator and there's a reason why I exist. All right, And I'm thinking about birds being one of my favorite things to watch. 
and I wanted to track a little bit specifically of the birds and then get into a couple of different birds and talk about them and talk about what God did with them and the lessons we can learn from it. We can learn from creation all over. Spend time in creation, look and see, and there's, a, there's lesson after lesson. If you spend time in creation, you will find out so many things about God. But a few things I want to talk about when we talk about the birds. So, let's turn to Genesis chapter number 1. To begin with, chapter number 1. And verse number 20. Chapter 1, verse number 20. Um, you want to read that section 20 through 22 for me, please. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. Okay, so here it is. We know a couple of things. This is pretty obvious. Birds fly, and they fly in the air, right? God created all sorts of kinds of birds, all sorts of kinds of birds, or all sorts of types of birds from the beginning, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And birds are one of those things that throughout the world, there are birds. There are birds in every continent. And there are birds all over the place. Even down in Antarctica, who's there? The penguins, right? The emperor penguins. All an incredible thing. And if you were to look up the story of the emperor penguin, you would see how they fight against the odds, how they save their eggs on top of their feet, how they're made specifically with a, a roll of skin and fat and fur, basically, to hold and protect their eggs. And essentially, if they drop their egg on the ice, it's so cold, if they drop it, it's dead. But they keep it on those feet for weeks and weeks at a time until finally they hatch. And then they do it time after time after time. Because God is consistent. And God said, go, be fruitful and multiply. And so they do. Birds throughout the world, various kinds of birds, they are fruitful and they multiply. All kinds of birds, large and small. All right, now let's go to Psalm chapter 8. And I will read Psalm chapter 8 for you. So we look at Psalm chapter number 8. We talk about getting a little perspective on what God is doing. What is God doing? Psalm chapter 8, verse number 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies. Thou hast that that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. So he says, out of babes and sucklings, which those are weak, 
and young, right? And he says, out of them, you're going to bring strength. So God does not need strength to have his own strength. He has his own strength on his own, okay? He has his own strength. He doesn't need some other strong being or beast to impress him. When I consider thy heavens, verse 3, and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why do you care about man? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth. Creation of all sorts. Creation shows God's power. Specifically in places where they are weak. Now, God's power is also displayed in the fact that there are mighty mountains that have crushed huge rocks up into the sky for feet and feet, sometimes miles above the ocean surface, right? That's power. Tectonic plates moving around, mighty oceans that can swallow up ship after ship after ship. Big rain that can come down, mighty fog. All those things are very powerful and they show God. The vast expanse of the universe shows God's power, okay? How big is God? Well, bigger than the universe. He's not bound by space and time. So he creates something that seems to have no end. At least even if we could get on a spaceship and travel at the speed of light, which no one can, but even if we could, it would take hundreds of years to get to some of these nearest other planets or solar systems, and we see that there are so many beyond that. So this place is vast, 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 beyond all measure that we can actually could get to. We can only measure it by light. And we know that it comes in by light. So we say, well, that's so many light years away, okay? So when we do that, we look at this great, big, powerful thing that God has created. The mighty oceans roar. They swallow up humans and ships and great whales, but, God has also paid attention to the tiny little details of the world. And that is where we are going to focus today. My grandpa, his name was Grandpa Odie, we called him Odie. He was from Norway when he was a young boy. And they say when he was five, six, seven years old, before he came to America, he had several brothers and sisters. Those brothers and sisters all went up into the mountains and played like all the other kids. They ran up and they made uh, wooden bow and arrows and they jumped off of things and they chased each other around, but not Grandpa Odie. Grandpa Odie sat on the ramp of the barn and watched the chickens go for hours pecking and running around and getting bugs and picking up this and scratching in the dirt, scratching in the grass. He watched the birds. 
Grandpa Odie had a great love for birds, and there's something about that in my family where I have found great pleasure myself in watching birds, seeing and naming and looking for all those little tiny birds that no one else even cares about. But that's the uniqueness of a bird. It grows, it lives its life, it goes out and does just exactly what God created it to do. When God said, go forth, be fruitful and multiply, every single year, and sometimes multiple times a year, birds go out and they lay eggs and they hatch young. And if they are defeated in some way, or their nests are eaten, their eggs are eaten by some predator, many of them will lay another nest. Again, they'll try again because they are following what God says. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? So I love to see these birds, and I think of God almost every time I see a bird. That's why I guess I love them. And I think of God when I see the great birds of power. One time, we were up in Maine, and we were the family cabin uh, of some friends that were in Maine. We stopped, we stayed there for a couple days on a lake, and it was a big, beautiful lake near Cherryfield, Maine. And the little cabin was in there, and we went out to fish in the evening, just to look around and fish and see what we could catch. And as we were standing, just as the sun was beginning to set, here came a great big bald eagle flying over the lake. And man, it was beautiful and powerful. And all of a sudden, over the top of the lake, he came down in and dove into that lake with a great big huge splash. And out of the lake, from way high up in the, in the sky, he saw a fish and he went down and he grabbed that fish out of the water and took it up into the sky. Power, grace, beauty, Accuracy, to be able to see, and you know what happens when you look down in water, what happens to the light? If you see something below the water, is it right where it looks like it is? Nope, it bends it, doesn't it? It's called refraction, right? You've learned that in science class. And they are able to anticipate that in their brain to understand that angle that the light is and go down and to be able to grab that fish out of the water. If they didn't have that ability, they'd be hungry birds, maybe starving birds, right? But God gave them that ability. It's amazing to see the swift hunters that they are. A great horned owl can go and pick a rabbit or pick a mouse off. Great horned owls and all many other owls have such amazing hearing. So amazing that they did a test and they took those owls and they covered over their eyes with blinders and they took them at one end of a big football field, inside of a football field. They blinded over their eyes and they released a mouse on the opposite end to run across the field. And that they let that owl go, and the owl flew right over with no eyesight, and in one second caught that little mouse, because they could hear. 
One time at the church here, we had a man come over and he had birds of prey that he was rehabilitating and he brought in an owl. And there was a big crowd of people sitting around and he explained, the girl with the blue shirt in the front row, I don't want you to look at me, I just want you to listen to me. I am going to tell you, you're going to wait and when you're ready, inside your shoes, I don't want you to move your feet, I just want you to wiggle your toes inside your feet. And everybody sat silently and still, he said, everybody else don't make a move. So we all sat silently and still and the girl sat for a minute. And he said, in your head, I don't want you to count out loud, in your head, I want you to count to 10 or some number like that. And then I want you to wiggle your feet, just your toes. Don't move your feet, don't move your body. And everybody sat silently and after she counted in her head, she moved her toes a little and the owl looked right down at her foot because he could hear just her toe move inside of her shoe so good of a hearing that they have. God's created these creatures and they're incredible and they show God's power. The sight of a hawk, they actually have magnifying sight that they can see things far away at a magnification right within their eyes. They can see it. They're able to hunt. The other strange shaped birds like a kingfisher can go and catch fish in the water, or an osprey can catch fish in the water. There are birds that can catch insects. There are birds that can catch all sorts of things. And it is powerful. Psalm chapter 147, as we look at God's power, God has great power. Psalm 147. Psalm 147, if you'd read verse 5 through 10 for me, please. We're going to look at the power of God, verses 5 through 10. Great is our Lord, and of great power his understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, pray, sing praise upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. Okay, so here it is. He says, God is mighty and powerful. He is not impressed by a great big horse. I've seen and worked with big horses, some of them in the range of 2,100 pounds apiece. They're over one ton for one horse. That's very big and powerful horse. And they're impressive. They stand way above me. But God's not impressed by the power of a horse. Even the most fit, most powerful horse ever to live. God's not impressed by that. 
That's very powerful to us. God's not impressed by what man can do. The power in man's legs. That's the, one of the more powerful muscles in our body is the legs of a man. And people can run fast and people can push things and big heavy things. And God says, I'm not impressed by those things. I can protect the weak. He says, I hear the ravens that cry. The young ravens. And what are the young ravens that cry? Which young ravens cry? When do birds cry? Um, in the at night. In the, in the nest, right? When they're real young and real little, they can't go anywhere. They can't do anything except wait for mom and dad to go, ah, ah, I want food, right? I want food. And that's what ravens do. And that's what all birds do. They're very weak. When they're young, they have no feathers to protect them. They have no ability. Anything can kill them and hurt them. And yet God has created this little, tiny, weak creature, this bird in a nest, and said, I protect those birds. I take care of those birds. I don't need power like a horse. I'm not impressed by that. I do that. I protect those. I give food to the animals. He says, I take care of them. I don't care about your big powerful things. I take care of you in so many ways. And because of that, the Bible says, we should sing. Sing with creation, right? About this. It's amazing we should sing about God and sing about His power. That's something that we should do and say, be thankful because it says in verse 6, He lifts up the meek, those without power. He takes care of the weak. He lifts up the meek. Okay? Those who are unimpressive. He lifts them up and he does great things with them. The lowly things of earth. Now, because of that, this makes me think of birds. Little baby birds. Little tiny baby birds. Here in my pocket. I stuck one in my pocket because I didn't want to lose it. I'm going to drop it probably. I hold a coffee bean, one little tiny coffee bean. Is it big? Nope. The reason I brought a coffee bean is to help you see that a coffee bean is about the exact size of the egg of a hummingbird. Hummingbirds are some of the smallest birds on earth. Hummingbirds are an impressive species. And I think about them because they're, they're not powerful. They're not like an eagle gliding through the air. They don't have great claws and sharp beaks. They don't tear apart flesh with their talons. They're just little, little, tiny creatures. Some are so tiny. In fact, 
hummingbirds. Some hummingbirds are the smallest mammal on Earth. There are birds, hummingbirds, that are, um, they're called bee hummingbirds, okay? And bee hummingbirds are the smallest mammal on the face of the earth. The very, very tiniest bird and the very, very tiniest mammal. They weigh what a sheet of paper weighs. You hold that sheet of paper. That's how much that hummingbird weighs. Is that a lot? Could you knock it out of the air? Probably, right? Without much effort, and you might not even notice you did it. The 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 honeybee, I think it's a honeybee hummingbird, the little bee hummingbird is about two and three-eighths inches long with its head to the tail. That's everything. Now we have around here, we have something called a ruby throat hummingbird, and they're a little bigger. They're another inch or inch and a half longer, okay? They're not, they're pretty tiny birds. And you hear them because they beat their wings so fast. They can beat their wings between 30, depending on the type of species of, of birds, hummingbirds, 15 to 200 or more wing beats, not per minute, but per second. Now I can count one Mississippi. One Mississippi. That's five. One Mississippi. That's five beats per second. Some of them can do 200 beats, wing beats per second. That's 40 times as many. So every time I say one Mississippi, they would have wet flapped their wings 40 times in between each one of those times I say that. One Mississippi, that's one second long. Each time I say one syllable, they would have flapped 40 times in there. That's fast. And in order to do that, a hummingbird has to have a system, a circulatory system, that takes and moves their blood to the tips of their wings and back in one second. It takes their entire body blood, moves it all around its body in one second. They need oxygen to get to their blood so they can live and they need food. And they need to eat about every 15 minutes. If they don't eat every 15 minutes all day long, after just a few hours of not eating, they'll die. They need that much energy. Every single day, they are a bird that lives their life totally on the edge. They are so delicate, they need everything. Now, a hummingbird, what does it do at night? What does it do? Does it sleep? Well, 
it has to rest its body. But it has no way to sleep like you and I sleep. Because if it slept like you and I slept, it would die. Because it uses so much energy, even sleeping, that it has to, it would eat up all of its reserves every night and be dead in the morning. So it has a special deep sleep that it has to go into. And every night that a hummingbird stops feeding, it has to go into the comatose state where it actually goes into almost a hibernation every night. And in hibernation, it slows its heart down. Its heart rate goes lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And it lowers its body temperature. And it's the only way that it can stay alive and sleep at night. It is such a delicate creature, it needs to do that. Now once it does that, it actually takes it somewhere between a half hour to an hour to wake itself back up again. During that time, you could go grab him right off the branch and he wouldn't even move. He looks like he's dead. He looks like he can't do anything. So you would go and you, would, you could take him right off the branch and he would sit there and it would take him a half hour or an hour to an hour to wake up. He's got to shiver his body. He's got to get his heart rate back up. He's got to get his temperature back up. And every morning that hummingbird, in order to go back and eat and fill its body again and the needs again, it has to shake and shiver for about a half an hour and get its body temperature back up. Once it gets its body temperature back up, it can survive. And in the first half an hour of its day of flying again, it needs to eat 25% of everything it needs to eat that day. It needs to eat it right away. So they have to go in and they go to the flowers and they stick their long beak up in the flowers and they're able to get the nectar out of the flower. So when they take those nectar, they take that nectar and they have a tongue, if their beak is that long, two or three inches long, their tongue is that long and a lot of times can reach twice as long up into the flower. So they stick a huge long tongue up into that flower and get that, get that nectar and pull it back into their mouth and eat it. And they go to the next flower and do that. And they go to the next flower and do that until they fill their body with the sugar, the nectar, from a flower. All right? So it's an impressive thing to see these birds that are so close to the edge. Every day, they could die. Every day, not because something would catch it, but because their life is so delicate and so balanced, just on the line, that it just it needs everything to happen right. And these, this is why this reminds me of God, because he, it says, God protects the meek. He has power and he lifts up the meek. And that little tiny, teeny, tiny hummingbird has no reason it should live. Other than God says, I'll protect you. I'll keep you. I'll make sure you have everything you need. And I'll make sure your whole system works perfectly. 
throughout the United States, all through North America, and down into South America are, I think, all of the world's populations of hummingbirds. There are none in other continents. And the majority of them live, the different types of species that live down in South America, Central and South America, and they can fly all the way across the Gulf of Mexico, many of them. They fly alone, oftentimes, and many times they almost don't make it, and sometimes they don't make it at all because they need so much energy to get across. They fly so fast, they get across, but they need so much energy to get across, they can barely survive to do it. And yet God drives them and says, I will take you across that Gulf of Mexico. I'll fly you 500 miles on a trip. He can take them 500 miles on a trip. They can fly that far. So all of those things are really fascinating to me about a hummingbird because God made them that way. Now, oftentimes you'll hear about how if you were to watch a special from uh, like a show on nature or a YouTube video on nature, they'll tell you how the flowers like these long bell-shaped flowers that are on many plants like that, needed the birds to, and the insects, to be able to get pollen off of them. So the birds stick their long beaks up in there, and here's the bird. Here's the hummingbird. He sticks his long beak up in, sticks his tongue up, gets what he needs to, and pulls it back out. All right? Made perfectly. You could say, well, the flowers changed and grew and all worked over millions of years to get right so that the birds could change and grow to get right perfectly with the flowers. Okay? But the problem is, they're like a lock and key. The flowers need the birds to take their pollen and to pollinate the flowers, which grows more flowers, right? And the birds need the flowers for the nectar to keep them alive. There was never a time where they didn't need to both be there. They're like a lock and key situation. In fact, so much so that there are specific hummingbirds and specific flowers down, I think they live in South America, some that are very, their cone of their flower is shaped like a big curved cone. And these flowers come off in bunches and as they shape like this big curved cone, there are birds with a hooked beak that fit right up and through. They fly right up in, they fit their head right inside, they fly up to it, and they have a big hooked beak, and their tongue goes out their hooked beak and is perfectly shaped for the flowers. They have some hummingbirds with extra long beaks, inches long. Now our local ones are long for the size of bird. They're maybe an inch and a half, maybe it's two inches, their beak, okay? Not super long, but long for a bird their size. 
they work in short flowers, but the ones down in South America have ones that are very long. If one season of birds didn't exist with that right-shaped beak to go and pollinate those flowers, then the flowers would not have been reproducing. Right? And if one season the flowers didn't exist, but the birds existed with a curved beak, there would not have been the birds. They need the food. So God made this perfect balance and God says, I feed the animals. I take care of them. I created this perfect way for them to survive. And not only survive, but live in beauty and live in splendor. Sometimes the smallest things that God creates are some of the most impressive things. Right? So their heartbeat beats up to 1,200 times a minute. How fast does our heart beat? Well, if we're at rest, it's supposed to be around 60 times a minute. All right? If we're exercising, it might be 120, 140, maybe 180. Okay, if we're really hard exercising, you're trying to get your heart rate up fast, because you want it to work fast. Well, their heartbeat is 1,200. So it's eight times faster than ours. And it does that throughout their lifetime. Every time they're flying fast, their heart beats thousands of times every minute, okay? Every hour, thousands and thousands of times. That little tiny, tiny heart in their body protects them, keeps them alive, tiny and weak. Just like the tiny egg, they have a little tiny nest that's the size of a milk, a gallon of milk, that kind of a size of a cap. That the cap that fits on there, that's about how big their nest is, not very big. And they sit in there with their little tiny coffee bean size eggs and they grow baby tiny hummingbirds. And the tiniest, tiniest little things as they crack out of their egg, they're so small. And they're fed. They grow to the littlest, most beautiful bird. But they're weak. And they're tiny and they're mild and they need protection and they need God's hand to keep things just so. So that's one of my favorite things about birds is they're so impressive that God looks at that lowest, weakest, tiniest thing and says, I'm going to take care of you all the time. I will take care of you and let you know all the time just what to do. And I will give you everything that you need. He cares for them to the extreme. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Verse number nine and ten. Because this is what God says about being weak. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. 
verse number 9 and 10. God says this about being weak. This is what Paul tells us that God told him directly. And he said unto me, My grace, or that is God's grace, is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest in me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Okay? So this is, this is the way that God looks at it and says, if you are weak, if you aren't strong, that's okay. I will cover you in all the things you have, in all the things that aren't perfect about you. I cover you. I take care of you. In fact, the things that you look at and you say, well, that's a weakness in me and mine, and I want to get that. God might use that very weakness to do something great in his kingdom. So God says, it's enough for you to be weak and know that you're weak and know that my care for you is enough while you're weak. Know that. That's a hard lesson for many of us to learn. It's a hard lesson. But you think about the weakness of so many birds. I've seen birds, little tiny, tiny chickadees out in the middle of the winter in western New York. The wind blowing. Cold, cold snow. Little tiny chickadee, just a few ounces of a bird, and the wind is blowing his feathers backwards, bowed off his body, and he's this big. And God takes care of him in the middle of that storm. God can protect him. When that wind could blow him and smash him into smithereens, God gives him a little place to hide and little bits of food to eat. And he takes care of him, and he's aware of what is everywhere. He's aware, he says, when one single bird falls to the ground. A sparrow. And a sparrows, there's millions of them out there. Sparrows aren't that impressive of a bird. Nobody would take care if a sparrow fell. But God knows when one falls and takes care of that little bird. So he takes care of every little piece. He takes care of the little wrens and the little warblers and the little tiny hummingbirds. Some of them so small that they look just barely bigger than an insect. Just a little tiny bird flying around. From three ounce birds, the littlest ones, up to ostriches, which can be 300 pounds. Big birds. God created variety. God created and said, I can do everything. I can create anything. There are over 10,000 species of birds in the world. And just here in western New York, there are over 500 species of birds. 
right? There are many, many of them right here. Probably many of them that you've never seen. You might be able to name 10 or 20 or 50 birds, but there's over 500 right here. So have you seen 500 different types of birds? Probably not. I haven't, and I've been watching, trying to gather up, seeing what I've been seeing. And all those different birds. I was standing outside on our property one day, and I heard this most beautiful song, the song of this bird. And it went on and on and on and on. I said, that is never, I've never heard that before. I finally found the bird in the tree. I was able to move slowly and look and find what it was. And it was a bird with bright red eyes, a little tiny guy called a vireo, right? A red-eyed vireo with the most beautiful song, just unique and different. And God has hundreds of those all around, different types of species. Why does he do that? Why so many species? And that's the question we're going to answer as we go to Job chapter 12. Just a couple more things I want to say about birds as we come near an end here with Job chapter 12. Just before the book of Psalms, Job chapter number 12. Verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, please. But, but ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In, the, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Alright, so here Job says, look at nature. Nature will tell you about God. Nature tells you. The birds speak to you. The beasts speak to you. The fish and how they move and the varieties and the, all the things in the ocean and throughout the lakes can speak to you of how all of these, these creatures have had, live in this perfect environment for them. How there are creatures that can live off of one another and create a perfect symbiotic relationship. How there are fish that can live inside of a stinging anemone, but nothing else can. And so they get protection, right, from that. And how all of those things work together and God has created the pieces of all that, melded it together into creation and says, I am the one that created this all. I made this perfect. I made the birds, I made the beasts, I made the fish, I made it all work together. And I uphold it, even down to the smallest, weakest thing, up to the very largest thing. I make sure that there is wisdom. God made me and I'm in his hand. That's what the message is from all of 
these creatures, down to that littlest, tiniest hummingbird, the creature says, God made me. I'm telling you about God. Why does God make variety? To show His splendor, to show His beauty, to show His ability to create differences, to create things that are attractive and beautiful to the human eye. Nature is full of those things. Nature appeals to so many people. And if you look at the birds across the world, you'll see birds painted like rainbows, bright green and oranges and reds. And sometimes the whole bird has got every color on it. And they're iridescent and they're blues and purples. And, and sometimes they blend in and sometimes they stand out. God's created those bright red cardinals around us and the blue jays and things you've seen here. All to say, I can do this. I am in control. I am in charge. I can protect even a bright blue bird. Doesn't even make sense that you'd make a bird that would stand out, right? Because then other things would eat it, right? In nature, other things would eat it. But God made these little tiny hummingbirds in a perfect environment, in a perfect place, even though they're bright green or have red throats or have purple or black throats with all these iridescent colors around them. And God protects them in the perfect place and they survive. If God's hand wasn't in it, they would have been extinct many, many years ago. But God's hand says, I will protect you. I give you a way to go to sleep at night. I give you a way to shake yourself out every morning and come back. I give you flowers. I give you things to survive on. If you and I ate flowers, we wouldn't live too long. Not enough there to keep us. But God has created this, these hummingbirds and many other birds and given them a way to protect them. All right? The last thing I want to do is in Psalm, chapter number 100, because there's one more thing that just attracts me to birds, and it is something that always draws me. It's the first thing you notice about a bird, oftentimes, the very first thing. Psalm 100, verse number 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. So, birds are one of the best things for this. There's nothing like waking up on a spring or summer morning and you just hear the birds. So many songs. I've sat on my porch and listened and tried to pick out one, two, five, ten, fifteen different songs happening all at once. And as they sing, they all say, God has created me. God is protecting me. God has given me this beautiful voice. God has given me the splendor to show that He is able not only to create the big, huge things, but to protect the little tiny things, right? The things that seem like they're insignificant. God says, I protect those things too. I protect the meek. I put my hand on the small and watch over them 
and keep them, all right? And the birds sing back in the most beautiful sounds. They sing back and they say, worship the God that created you. That's what nature does. The birds sing and remind us that God wants us to have a heart of worship. God wants us to remember Him, to talk to Him, to sing with Him, to be obedient to Him, to remember that He is the mighty, the almighty Creator, and that we should live our life and go to Him and be satisfied with Him, be in love with Him, and sing about Him. All right? So, to me, one of my favorite things, the birds teach us all these things, splendor and beauty, and I think when we get to heaven, we will see creatures like birds, maybe even birds, and any other animals fill the world of heaven. When he recreates this earth, it says in the end times, the earth will melt away in a fervent heat and he will recreate what we know as earth. I think we will see splendor here. I think we'll be able to be here at times and see things and experience God's creation without the stuntedness of sin. What a day it'll be. And you'll be able to be with the birds, be with the creatures, be with the animals, be in nature, and not be stunted and held back and full of anxiety from the things that keep us from God, but to be close to God. And that's why I really enjoy birds. Birds are one of the things that, that to me, points to God in the smallest ways all the time. God always protects them, takes care of them, makes sure they continue in so many ways because He cares about them and He cares about us even more. We read that passage that said, God gave us dominion or power or authority over even these creatures. What a wonderful gift. Now, and we see that. So let's think about that and think about God. Thank you very much.